Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The weather is changing. Yeah, a little fall in the air. You know, I got leaves in my driveway. That just screams it's college football season, which is why PK and I wanted to speak with Cam Malore, who covers uh, college football for SB Nation, and get his take on college football, where it stands, when they're going to play, what is the fallout from this first month going to be like. Here's Cam with PK and I. Cam, good morning. Good morning to you guys as well. So, Cam... Does it feel like college football season has started, or does it feel like a string of week zeros, one after another, and it's not really college football, but you know it's going to be soon? So I would say weeks, I guess whatever we call them, week zero, one, and two felt that way. It felt like there was a trickle-down effect. And I think once we got the majority of the, those ACC goals back, it felt like one to me, at least I was busy enough on Saturday that it felt like a full season. But I think the real taste of this season, uh, I mean, it, it's going to begin a, a, absolutely when the SEC starts playing this weekend, too. I think that's when it'll really feel like, you know, week one and we can start getting these, you know, actually having rankings and top 25 lists that aren't just sort of, you know, product of a few teams playing and, you know, poor teams that are in the bottom of the 25, they're still top, almost the top half of where they would normally have been. So it's, it's certainly been a week zero feel uh, a lot longer than normal. So I think the Big Ten of the teams, uh, conferences that weren't going to play, you know, they might have looked a little bit silly with the idea of, well, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play conference only, and then now we're going to do it. We're not going to revisit it, and then down the line we are, do revisit it, and they are going to play. And so they've set themselves up to go forward, and I think that people can live with that. But what do you think is going on with the Pac-12? Because they follow the Big Ten and canceling, postponing, but now they're dragging their feet. So I'm not really sure what's going on with them and what's taking so long. Yeah, and I honestly don't think I know either, and I don't think anybody knows except maybe Larry Scott, and I don't know also if he necessarily knows what's going on in his own head. So it's been, you know, for lack of a better term, a pretty bad show to watch unfold, and especially if you were playing second fiddle little brother to the Big Ten and sort of following their lead, and then now not following their lead to hush to hurry back to a season, and then you know not to mention the taking the bonuses and not and then furloughing employees. It's just been truly sort of a miserable show to watch unfold, and I just don't know what we're going to see happen here. Nothing would surprise me. I mean, we saw it in the Big Ten where they said they were going to vote. They didn't vote, and then they voted in secrecy, and then they a hot mic picked up on them coming back. I we're supposed to have a vote on Thursday for the Pac-12 to return to play. And they're blaming the fires, and they're blaming California and the Oregon as a state and whole. It's just been truly a mess, and I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised either way. But I don't think anybody truly knows what's going on. So, is there a chance with the Pac-12 brand just getting you know, damaged, trampled on, torn apart? Is there any chance that a Pac-12 team, when they finally play, is so good that everybody forgets all about that and just sees really good football? I mean, Oregon and USC would be the first two teams you'll look at. But is anybody that good or no? I think they would have to truly leap off the page good. I think it would have to be one of those two teams with the national brand that everybody's accustomed to seeing or or wouldn't be surprised to see in the top ten and stay there. And I think they would have to then whoop up on the other opponent, too. So if it's a USC, I think they'd have to put out 50 against an Oregon defense. Or Oregon would have to limit a, a USC offense to, you know, 100 passing yards or something like that. I think that 
it's basically a tarnished reputation for this season going forward, and especially starting so late. You know, you might have a little bit of recency bias, but I think it's truly an uphill battle in a normal season. It's even more. It's a now a mountain climb for a Pac-12 school to see or even sniff the college football playoff conversation this season. So Larry Scott was on shaky ground. Do you think this pretty much does does him in? I would say so. I, I think that there's no real redeeming qualities from how this whole situation was handled. And then especially the report about taking money and, and then furloughing employees. I don't think that helps anyway. And, and I, you know, one report saying this morning, actually, I saw a break over social media that, you know, he basically knows he's on thin ice or that he's basically leaving after this year anyway. So he just essentially doesn't care. So I'll take that for, you know, with a grain of salt and see what actually happens here. But I do believe that this is probably, you know, this is the, the iceberg that's appearing in terms of his his reign as commissioner. I think that it, it's, it's he's on his way out. Yes. So assuming the Pac-12 is the league that's left out, then they can give one bid to each of the other leagues, which uh, the other four power five leagues, uh, which seems like the easy automatic thing to do with no non-conference games to weigh, you know, well, this champion should be left out and this runner-up should be in. But it's college football and the logical thing rarely happens. So are we going to have a free-for-all when we get to the playoff? I think in this in, in any normal year, there's chaos. I think this year will ensue even more chaos or ten times chaos because you could have one of those schools, you know, in the American Athletic Conference that's going to sit there and have eleven games under their belt and sit there at eleven and zero, maybe even twelve and zero if they can get that many games on their schedule. A team like a UCF that just beat an ACC opponent too. I think that that's where we're going to see the chaos. I think we'll see. You know, the the common foes in there: the Ohio State, the Clemson, the Alabama. And then I think that's where the chaos will be. It's that fourth school. And I think in any year that we have now, it's it's finally that year for a group of five or even an independent to sort of make noise and cause that extra chaos by looking so good in their own conference and not having those non-conference games for these other schools on their radar or on their record that I think the year that chaos is maybe even times 100 compared to normal. How about the secondary bowl games? What do you think is going to happen to them? It's tough. I would assume that they're on a case-by-case basis. Uh, being a Floridian myself and knowing how sort of uh, blasé for they are with everything that's going on, I would assume that the bowl games that are happening in Florida will still go on. Um, you know, obviously the Orange Bowl is a big one, but those small ones, the Bad Boy Mowers, Gasparilla Bowl, I don't see like those type of things in, in the state of Florida or even in the South. Those games will probably still go on. It's just a matter of how they do it and how they do it safely. But I would assume... You know, the growing trend in college football was to, to see kids sit out those bowl games if it means nothing for them. I, I think we would see a lot more opt-outs or a lot more sit-outs in those bowl games if they do go on as scheduled. Do you think we're going to start seeing players opt out of full seasons going forward, or is that just a one-off for this year, or is it a new trend? I, I, I'd hope it's just a one-off of this year, but I, you know, I, and I think that there's maybe, if you do see those situations, it would be a player... Uh, like a Derek Stingley from LSU, where everybody crowned him as the best cornerback prospect of his draft class after one freshman year, and you know he sort of had nothing left to prove after one season in college football. You know, maybe he's the type of player, but I think those are so far and few between for those players to sort of etch themselves uh, sort of as the best of their class after one or two seasons, even in college football, because so many things can happen. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it's just a this year type of thing, uh, and that we don't see that too often, because you know it's just it's the best sport in my opinion, and I love to see these kids succeed. We understand that you're pretty high on BYU quarterback Zach Wilson, correct? Yes, I am. Probably a little bit higher than even most, even in Provo, I would say. 
Explain why. So I went back and I watched every throw possible of the kid's career. I love Zach, and I just think that there are intangibles that you cannot coach. There is arm strength, there is football instinct, and there is athleticism that is uncoachable. And so those coachable moments are sort of what people saw as the the scapegoat for some losses here. There were multiple interceptions last year. I do know that. I know he was battling the injuries, and you give the pass on that. But, you know, I looked at those in, those interceptions he threw last year, and of the nine, there were seven of those that were not his fault. A couple of those were dropped. A couple of those, the receiver fell down. Another one was tipped at the line of scrimmage. Multiple moments of time that errors that he gets credit for in the box score that the general fan doesn't want to then say something else might have been at fault. I think there are moments in time where he has a certain Johnny Manziel to him, but he's also got you know incredible arm strength and great, great pocket presence that I think those coachable moments and those coachable interceptions and troubles that he's seen, if those are tidied up, this is a guy that's not only a great college quarterback, but also has a career in the pros too. Do you think BYU's offensive line is really that good and they got a bunch of pros in the O-line, or is that uh, more a Navy issue, the reason they ran over Navy the way they did? <laughs> it's, it's, it's super tough to say. Before the season, I would have said that they were very good and you probably have two or three pros on the offensive line. After the Navy game, I would have said everybody on the offense is no pro. Uh, but after you know you figure out and, and, and hear what Navy did and didn't touch anybody in practice, it makes it a little bit less... You know, it doesn't make that win as, as great as the box score probably says. But I do think that Brady Christensen has NFL tackle written all over him and Epi at center as well. And then, you know, I liked what I saw from the rest of the guys. But right now on my radar for the NFL, it's definitely Christensen as, as a day one or day two pick as well. And then Epi sort of as an early day three prospect. I like them both on the pros. Cam, we appreciate a few minutes this morning. Thanks for coming on and talking a little college football with us. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. I appreciate you having me. When we come back, how about more college football with Scott Gerard and the return of the Mountain West Conference and the Utah State Aggies. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk college football with the radio voice of the Utah State Aggies, Scott Gerard. When is the Mountain West going to return? Is it going to be soon, Scotty? Signs sure look good at this point. And uh, what would it look like if the, Pac- or if the Mountain West were to announce before the Pac-12, which I think is a distinct possibility. I think the Mountain West is actually, uh, and I still think this date's a little aggressive, uh, but according to a lot of people in the know, that October 24th uh, date is extremely, extremely realistic for the Mountain West. Uh, I thought Halloween, maybe November 7th, but they're, they're, they're working towards October 24th, which I think would be an incredible accomplishment if they're able to get teams back out on the field that quick. So you're tied into the folks at Utah State. What do they think about that? Uh, I think that uh, I think that they would be very excited and very supportive of an opportunity to get back out on the field because I, and look, I know and no disrespect to anybody that's dealing with this ridiculous virus and the fact that it's raging right now here in the state of Utah, uh, but the but 
But I think that there's teams here in Utah, and I think Kyle Whittingham would say the same thing, that they're ready to go. And they feel like they've got the testing in place. They feel like they've got everything in place to be able to go and go quickly. And they could have gone at the beginning of the season. It's just the California dilemma that uh, the Mountain West deals with, the same thing the Pac-12 deals with, that and, and Oregon. So I think that uh, Utah State is more than willing and excited to go as soon as they possibly can. So are all 12 teams going to go? Because Hawaii had a travel ban, but I heard that's being lifted. They might just uh, test you when you get to the state, and if you're good, you're good to go. So I guess I could see a charter plane, a football team landing there and being able to play. Are all 12 on board? Uh, as Well, you know, the, there were three question marks. Uh, Air Force has already got, has got some issues that they're dealing with in terms of the games that are already on the books with Army and Navy, but I think that can get squared away. Uh, Fresno is the big one because Fresno and, and their, uh, their, their president had completely shut down everything in regards to on-campus learning, uh, but they released a statement at the end of last week that said they could find a way to make it work. So Fresno is the one I thought really would have a hard time making it work in Hawaii. But as you mentioned, uh, the power of a chance to recoup a little bit of money to help keep your athletic department afloat seems appealing enough that they're willing to work through some of these issues. So as of right now, it seems like, yeah, uh, all 12 are on board and ready to go. Now that's as of now, but and who knows how that thing could play out. But I think all 12 are going to try to give it a go. So then how many games and what's the schedule going to look like? I would, and and by the by the way, let me preface this. This is speculation on my part. Uh, I I think you're looking at eight games, uh, with a kind of uh, giving yourself a little bit of a schedule flexibility. You're able to start on October 24th, and you can work in some buys and maybe move some things around if you have to. Uh, if you go October 31st or anything later, you don't have any flexibility whatsoever. So I think you're looking at eight games, and uh, with a hopeful start on October 24th would be my guess. So I don't really remember a preseason poll. Maybe there wasn't one. Is it just, should we just pencil in uh, Boise State's the favorite because Boise State's usually the favorite? Yeah, there was a preseason poll. It was uh, Boise in the mountain and uh, I believe San Diego State in the west. Uh, And uh, I think Utah State was picked to finish, I want to say, fourth in the division. All right, well, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, obviously, they got a new quarterback coming in there. I assume it's going to be the Utah transfer, but I can't guarantee you that. Uh, and I talked to I talked to Gary a little bit. I still do the coaches show up in Logan, and I talked to Gary about the quarterback situation. and And they really like uh, Andrew Peasley, the guy that they like. But uh, at the end of the day, I I would agree with you, PK. It's going to be Jason Shelley's job to lose. Uh, they. They essentially uh, wanted to keep Henry Columbia, a guy who I think is really talented, uh, and they wanted to keep him on the team. But as soon as Jason Shelley signed, he decided to transfer, and he's now at Texas Tech uh, with Matt Wells. So it's really, you look at the experience level that Jason brings to the job, uh, the skill set that he has that I know that they want more of what he can do to that offense. They never ran uh, Jordan Love at all, and for good reason, too. I mean, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. No reason to have him taking unnecessary hits. Uh, but they really want to use the quarterback in the run game, and they feel like Jason can certainly help there. Andrew Peasley can do that as well. They've got two pretty good quarterbacks, but, yeah, you're right. Jason Shelley, that's his job to lose. Side note, since you mentioned Texas Tech, did you see that their uh, running back uh, was arrested and charged with street racing? 
and is eligible for the game against Texas on Saturday. <laughs> it's Texas, baby. This is a big God game. God bless the Big 12. Yep. It's <laughs> a big game, man. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to sit your starting running back uh, against Texas? No. A guy saw American Graffiti and then decided to go recreate the movie. I mean, you know, it's good you to know? see the kids watching the classics. That movie's twice as old as he is. I think it was more of those 25, Too Fast, Too Furious yeah, there it movies is. he probably was watching. Enough of the video games. Let's go live it. Yeah, exactly. And kind of dangerous. I don't know. That sounds like PK and Flagstaff. <laughs> <laughs> Except, Except he didn't, didn't have, have a car because <laughs> he crashed his sister's car, so he didn't have a car. Well, I, did, I had a car, oh. but my father didn't have a car, so I had to give him my car because I didn't really need one when I was in Flagstaff. Oh. See, we talk about the Arizona State days a lot, but not a lot comes up about the Northern Arizona days. Which no, I prefer to I keep it that my, way. <laughs> I know. That's what I think. Arizona State gets the, gets the MO for being the party school, but I think uh, – I think Northern Arizona may have outdid it a little bit. Uh, there was far more debauchery, and I was 17 when I went to uh, Flagstaff, and I was five months away from changing from turning 18. I didn't turn 18 until after my first semester. I was way too young, and uh, I was experienced in a lot of different ways, though that I shouldn't <laughs> want to have experience. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, those two. Those two years were rough, man, and I needed the to, best two I years needed, of your life uh, <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> so I'm glad I got out of there. And when I got to ASU, my grade point average was about five points higher, which is impossible, but yet it was <laughs> when I was at ASU because I got serious about academics because I was on the road to nowhere. That's for sure. So I had the maturity enough to know that, man, I got to get out of here, or I am just. I'm going to drown, but it's not going to be underwater. It's going to be a little bit of a Jim Morrison thing. So, anyway, that's my experience with Northern Arizona. Now, of course, you know, I'm a Pac-12 homer. I don't make any bones about that. So I got a bone to pick with you because you've been running this promo. We're saying that if the Pac-12 isn't going to play in order to get into the potential playoff what are they playing for well couldn't i ask that about the mountain west and actually i can ask that about at least 10 of the 12 packed out 12 teams what are you playing for because none of these teams have a realistic shot to get in the playoff well i think you're i mean and i mean obviously you're not getting into the playoff but i'm saying that you uh and i don't maybe maybe i'm misspoking on this misspeaking on this a little bit but you've got to at least you got to be able to dance a little bit to get into the New Year Six and get some of the and get some of that money. Uh, if you if you're not able to uh, if you're not able to participate and you're you overshoot that deadline, you can't get a team in the New Year Six. At least you know Mountain West has a chance to get Boise State into a New Year Six. At least even if they're not in the college football playoff, uh, the Pac-12 can at least put a team in the New Year Six game and uh, and at least get some of that money. Uh, if you play you start playing middle of November. And maybe I'm misspeaking here, DJ. You're the numbers guy. Um, maybe, maybe I don't think you're eligible for any of that money. I lost everything you said after you said misspoking. That was classic. I no, that's not what I said. I, I it was a different <laughs> word I used. <laughs> oh man! So Larry Scott gets fired. Is Craig Thompson a candidate? Oh hell no! Are you serious? No, no. No, of course not. Wow, that's like eight no's. 
He dropped a Ron Boone in the middle of that. That was great. <laughs> you're having, you're having I, quite the segment, Scott. If I'm the Pac-12 and I have a chance, like whoever whoever takes over that train wreck of a conference right now, there's only one direction to go but up. After that, John Wilner paying out bonuses to everybody. He gets a $2.25 million bonus. Uh, there's only one way that conference and the image of that conference can go is up after this nonsense. So you have your pick of the litter. Whoever, there'll be a line a mile long to take over that conference because it's a win-win. You can't run that thing into the ground any more than Larry Scott did. You you refuse a bonus and you sign up with DirecTV, then you're a winner right there immediately. That's all you've got to do, and you're a successful conference commissioner. So I I, uh, I think there'll be a lot of people who'll be eligible for that job that would do a really good job. All right, I would buy that, that if you did those two things, and, and also get out of the literally the most expensive real estate in yes. the country, in the conference, wow. if not the country, and pay all that money is such a freaking waste for what? I have no idea why that would be. But... See, and, and those are good, and, and, and those are important things. To get on DirecTV, absolutely, I agree 100%, uh, because that your, your, your product isn't being shown the way it should be. But I'm wondering now, with the things have changed and the television being such a driving force, that the exposure issue and all these things, these things that they got going on, can that be fixed by a commissioner? Because they're still going to be playing a large portion of their games at starting at 10.30 back east where 40% of the people live in the eastern time zone. So is that something that is fixable, or they're just going to have to deal with that type of stuff? I think you're, I think you're just going to have to deal with that. But the contract expires in, what, 22, 23? for the Pac-12, I would much rather have a new conference commissioner who's got a little bit more experience in dealing with some of these things uh, entering into that negotiation than I would Larry Scott. And so if you're going to make a move, make a move now so he can have a year or two under his belt leading up to whenever those negotiations take place. And, and I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, the, the deal expires in two, maybe three years, but the negotiating is going to start a year in advance. So... Make sure you have your guy in place so that uh, – because Larry got steamrolled pretty good on the last one. So bring somebody new in, get him up to speed, and at least maybe then you have a fighting chance. I don't think you have a fighting chance of changing any of that stuff you talk about with PK, talk about PK uh, with, with Larry Scott running things. And while they still have to play a lot of games at 8.30, and I can still see two or three of the six league games in that time slot, I think it's also possible to get one or two games into the 6 o'clock ABC window, the 5 o'clock Fox window, or uh, 1.30 window on ABC or Fox. You know, the Utah-Washington game was in that time slot. Uh, You know, we don't need to go into all the reasons that that can happen, but I think there are reasons out there that can happen. And if you have your one or two big teams in that several times a year, you're probably in good enough shape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think – I mean, I, I think it's a difficult run. I think you're in a bad spot. The optics of your conference aren't great. And I don't blame Larry Scott for not being able to put teams into the college football playoff. That's on the coaches. That's on the individual institutions. But right now, you, you're not highly thought of on the national landscape in terms of college football. You need USC to get better. You need to tell USC to hire Urban Meyer and to let him take over that program and give him anything he needs – and you'll be in a college football playoff in two years. Now, it might be dirty, but you're going to give a little bit more respect to your conference, and then by that time, hopefully you're negotiating a new contract and you get a few extra bucks out of the deal. 
You know, it really is on USC and Oregon. It's not like the third best team in the ACC and the Big 12 are driving the image of those leagues. It's Oklahoma and it's Clemson. Yeah. And after that, yeah, okay, whatever. Play games, guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay, we criticize the Big 12 for being dirty, but we're going to hire Urban Meyer. Hell yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Come yeah. on. Hire, you know, get the Dodgers pitching coach to help be able to, you know, coach his kid on how to hit a curveball, whatever you need to do, and, uh, you know, get him there. That's his grandson now. Yeah, right? That, that, yeah, that, that, that kid is in his mid-20s. <laughs> I'm just trying to pull out all the classics. Yeah, but if you were seriously, if you were six years old in 2004, you're 22 now. (laughs) That makes me sick to my stomach. Just sit back and let Herm do his thing. We'll be okay. Yeah. You guys who scoffed at Herm. I did. I'll admit it. And you did too. Don't 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 say that was a home run hire. What did I say, DJ? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Same thing you always say Right You never know You don't know I will say this You badgered him as much as you do Every USC co- Or every Arizona State coach At Pac-12 Media Day so you I think like I pissed him off, off yeah. yeah Yeah well the last two Graham and And uh, Herm Yeah I mean They, they go, you can go 7-5 and five, Good And I'll give you a big old bonus For going 7-5 and five. Who doesn't go 7-5 and five there there's been two people, well, yeah, three people. You got Graham, you got Herm, and then every time I watch Christian McCaffrey, I think about the time he wanted to fight you at Pac-12 Media Day. <laughs> can't take a joke. What do you want from me, man? <laughs> that was probably one of the top five uncomfortable moments I've ever been a part of. And the other four also involved, PK. What were they? <laughs> uh, grabbing me by uh, no, the neck no. and saving my job. <laughs> Drive blocking him down the whole hallway <laughs> that no longer oh, exists. Trust, <laughs> trust me, I got a couple more that certainly don't involve PK. <laughs> All right, Scotty. Well, well you... share, No, I want to know those. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Scotty. <laughs> no. Just go back a year or so. That's about it. <laughs> Bingo. Anyway. <laughs> There's Scotty G, the radio voice of the Utah State Aggies. When we come back, former BYU wide receiver Dylan Cauley. He's a Cauley. He's got a million opinions. And he's funny, too. We're getting to Dylan Cauley next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. It's time now to talk college football with Dylan Colley, the former BYU wide receiver. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Dylan, good morning. How are we doing, gentlemen? All, all things considered, I think we're doing pretty well. But yeah. we're a little, uh, we're a little uh, discombobulated. This isn't the right month to have a major golf championship and the NBA playoffs. This is the month for college football. And yet, I've watched more golf 
than I have college football. Because you got some leagues haven't announced they're starting yet. Some have announced but haven't started. And even the SEC hasn't kicked off again. There hasn't been a single SEC game yet. Right? And BYU played one game and now hasn't played for weeks. And nobody else in the state's playing yet, although that may be changing for a couple schools here pretty quick. So are you in college football mode? Or are you as discombobulated as us? I think I think everyone is a bit uh, discombobulated, but just trying to take the uh, the positives as they come. So, you know, obviously there is a lot going on. Um, if I were to rank it in in order of priority, and you know, if you hit recall on my uh, my TV changer, right, it's going to be flipped between the the college football and then uh, the golf, and then third third the basketball. But you know. It is a bit overwhelming, but uh, I think for now we can kind of enjoy it, right? Keeps things going. <clears throat> it makes things interesting for, for uh, a weird year. So, Dylan, put yourself in the position of still being on BYU's football team, knowing that they gained a lot of experience over the last couple of years, and so many of these kids were coming back, led by Zach Wilson, a third-year quarterback. Uh, you know, you talk about the positive. The positive is if they, got, they do have games – but the negative is that he didn't have that schedule, and that schedule would have been awesome. It really would have been a chance to prove yourselves against some real big-time competition with, I think, seven Power Fives, and then the non-conference you had Houston and or uh, San Diego State, Boise, Utah State, I mean. And those are all pretty good teams in the Mountain West or have been over the years, the last few years. You find yourself having a sense of disappointment knowing that BYU is projected to be pretty good this year to not be able to prove themselves against that quality competition? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's obviously extremely difficult, especially for those older guys, those upperclassmen that, you know, were kind of, to, you know, I guess banking on this year, right? As as some true proving ground to see what am I going to be able to provide uh, agents, head coaches, and scouts for the next level, right? And so it's very difficult. Um, you know, let's say you do have guys, right, who are maybe toting the line of getting drafted or being a priority free agent. Is what they were about to do was you know, accelerate themselves into a position to, to make a lot of money and give themselves a much better shot in the NFL. Whereas now, right, yes, you're able to see it because it's still Division One football across the board, but, you know, understanding that, hey, there is a much weaker schedule um, and it's not going to be as, as effective, you know, maybe as, as what those, especially those seven power five games are. I mean, that, that schedule is probably going to be the best BYU schedule uh, in you know, as long as I can remember, right? Like yeah. the, between the stadiums that they were going to play at, the teams that they were going to play against, the situations, the back-to-back power fives, right? Going back and forth, having to travel. I mean, talk about a test of really how good you are. Um, that that was going to be unbelievable. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We have seen the Navy game, and it was, at least in my mind, shockingly easy for BYU. And the offensive line just blowing Navy out. How much of that is BYU's got a bunch of NFL guys on the line, and so that's what they're going to do, game in and game out? And how much of that was Navy wasn't hitting, and maybe they're down a little bit? How, yeah. What would you read on that game? Uh, I think I think about 50-50. Right, uh, I had the chance to play with a majority of that offensive line. Um, 
you know, and when it was a young offensive line two years ago. That offensive line is absolutely unbelievable, right? And and Coach Mateos has done a phenomenal job, and obviously you've got Coach Grimes, who is kind of the O line connoisseur. Um, but I, I you can't you can't shy away from the fact that if you truly were to go without hitting or without any contact, um, trying to play a Division One football game, right, is next to impossible. I think there are a lot of, you know, I think the the SCS schools, the D one AA schools, would have probably put it to Navy. Um, so to be able to take that game and say, hey, let's not, you know, kind of, uh, let's not ride that game as who we are as a team, um, because it was awful. That was some of the most, that was some of the worst football, <laughs> um, unfortunately, right? Because Navy is such a respectable program, and uh, obviously they were looking to other priorities, which is fine and understandable, but, um, you know, for us to sit here and go, that, that game was a defining moment for BYU, uh, that would be embarrassing. Um, now, I do think that this week is going to be a much different story. Uh, and we will see an opportunity for them to really, you know, kind of solidify themselves and show how unbelievable they are against a kind of tested and tried uh, opponent. So you bring up the fact of Navy, uh, you know, with the no hitting, and that was a storyline. Uh, in your opinion, Dylan, how, going forward, you know, the Pac-12 and Mountain West looking like they're going to get back on the field here at some point. How much time would you think that you would need as a player to get yourself, let's say, practice started whenever tomorrow, and you yeah. have the first game whenever that might be? How much time do you think you would need to get yourself in playing shape, and how much live scrimmaging do you think needs to be done? I mean, I think I think you'd need two weeks. Uh, I think you'd need two weeks and at least a scrimmage, right? Each of those weeks, much very similar to to fall camp. Um, when I was playing at Hawaii, we played a game. We we weren't able to start fall camp until the first week of August, but we we were playing in Australia um, the last week of August, and so between the basically the week of travel, right? We only had two weeks to get ready. Um, and, you know, physically, right, getting into the swing of things uh, and being ready to actually take a hit and tackle, right? I mean, I'm not saying you need a month and a half, but I think you need at least two weeks to really be able to get back into mentally, right, getting ready to throw your body into other people and do it effectively. So we just saw in the NFL just a ton of ACL injuries here in week two. Uh, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Marquise Blair, Courtly, uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, Saquon Barkley. I mean, it's a whole list. How much of this is just freaky and how much are these guys' bodies uh, rebelling because they didn't kind of ease into it with preseason games? Because when I hear you say two weeks, it makes me think, well, the, these ACLs, that was just kind of a fluky week in the NFL. Right, right. And I I think there's a much obviously right, there is there is the freak side of it. But you look at what were they doing because as much as we all want to think that the, the NFL is pristine and right, it is the highest level of football, I mean, they're probably you know, I I would put a lot of the division one college Strength and head, strength head, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, right? Ahead of what is actually available in the NFL, 
And so as these guys are spending more time with their strength and conditioning coaches, knowing that there is no preseason, how much are they doing and what sort of workouts are they doing during this time, right? While they're not playing games, they're probably loading it up a little bit more. They're probably doing, you know, uh, not as much, you know, they're probably saying, hey, let's save the body. Let's just lift a little bit. Let's not put too much stress on the lateral, everything like that. And so, yes, I do think that, you know, these guys aren't taking their 15 to 20 plays in the preseason, but you also have to look at what was the training you know, what was some of the processes that they went through? How much more, right, were they loading up until fall camp knowing there were no games to really physically get ready for, that they had an extra month to kind of hold off? So you look at guys like Saquon who, you know, I'm going to go with more of like a freak accident there or just because his legs are so dang big, right, you're going to – you are you are a test of time there, right? His body fat might be 5 or 6% which is actually going to cause more strain. So if you don't have that full time, you know, that one is a little bit more freakish. But all these other guys, is just you have to look at what they're doing on the outside uh, and what their training regimens are and everything like that because they probably did change. I'm glad you brought up that uh, the, the pro aspect of it as far as pr- uh, proving yourself because I've been saying that, and I brought up two examples the last couple of years for Utah at this time, going into training camp, uh, the last couple of years, uh, Barton, the linebacker, and Burgess, the defensive huh? back, I don't think they were on NFL radar screens, but yet they had phenomenal seas- senior seasons and got themselves to be second-day draft choices, and both of them are making money. It seems like, you know, with the collegiate football and the student-athlete, we don't really want to talk about that because it seems like it's dirty. But the reality is that's what it's – for a lot of kids, that's the goal, right, is to get to the NFL mm-hmm. – prove yourself so why not talk about it absolutely absolutely and i think if you're talking to a a freshman that is if you're talking to an incoming freshman and their goal isn't to play in the nfl on you know if a legit football player comes in as a scholarship athlete and their goal isn't to play in the nfl i mean uh, i don't want to call it a problem right (laughs) but but there are some red flags in knowing, okay, what am I going to get out of this athlete for the next four years if his goals stop at what he's just accomplished, right? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you look at a guy like Cody Barton. Right? I've, I worked out with, uh, with Cody at Performance One for a while, and you talk about a guy who is very, like, that dude walks around with a chip on his shoulder, right? He's all things football. Uh, he's got a couple screws loose, and I, that's what makes him a, a viable option as an NFL linebacker, right? Like, that's not a normal thing to be, uh, to be able to go out there every single day and knock head with, right, some of the most athletic and largest human beings uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and then just go run around and throw your body into people. I mean, that, that takes a different breed. And so if someone comes in and says, hey, I don't even want to play in the NFL, then from a football aspect, right, you might need to be worried. Uh, But, you know, a lot of these guys come in and that's their focus and that's what you want to be and that's what you want to do. And so you're going to do everything. Every single day is going to be based on the big picture. How are you going to win football games? How are you going to win football games? 
And then how are you going to set yourself up to, to play in the NFL? Dylan Cauley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Okay, so 2020 is an odd year, and we're seeing odd stuff, and we all ex- expect it. But we also expect kind of a new normal going forward as we get out of this, whenever that is. And from a sports mm-hmm. perspective, one thing that has PK and I scratch in our heads, but I'm leaning towards we're going to see some of this on a regular basis, not a lot of it, but guys opting out of a year of football because they know they're a high draft pick and they don't want to risk yep. the injury, even with insurance. Now, I get, you know, yep. hey, it's an 8- or 10-game season this year and guys are doing it, but you're agreeing that guys are going to opt out of 12-game seasons in 2024? I, uh, yeah, unfortunately, right? <laughs> there's, there's nothing I hate more, but like it, it's, it's now inevitable, especially as the things come out with, right? You look at the, the likeness and, you know, the name the money image that likeness, can come yeah. from, yeah, the name image likeness, right? You look at the money that's going to be able to come from that. It's like by the time you're a junior, if you're a top prospect, if you're a Trevor Lawrence and you come in, and you make enough money in the first three years, right? Yeah, opt out, still get your degree, and then go play in the NFL if that's the way you know some people want to do it. I like that concept, Dylan, of a few, a couple of screws loose when you used Cody, and I, he'll probably take that as a compliment mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Absolutely. How much? How much of that? based on your experience, is necessary to be wired, as you say, to have a couple of screws loose in order to get yourself in the NFL? Uh, I mean, to, to play on the defensive side of the ball, right, I wouldn't, it's, it's more like, you know, 80 to 85%, right, to have the right screws loose. Now, if we're just talking about being a little odd, right, then, then that doesn't help very much. But, but when we're talking about having the right screws, it's like 80 to 85% of your capability of making it to the NFL on the defensive side of the ball, right, especially in that middle of the field front seven. When you look at a strong safety, you look at linebackers, you look at the interior linemen. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, right, uh, I don't think it's near as important. I think having an understanding of the game, right? But you don't need that kind of sideways thought process on on offense. And if you look at real deal football players these days, especially with the way uh, the attitude of social media and and all of these things that are truly affecting, you know, uh, truly affecting kind of the whole right, the whole picture of football. When you have a guy who is a ball of energy who can fly around the field, who makes plays at all costs, right? Who's going to go from sideline to sideline uh, in pursuit, and and his entire goal, right, is to make someone feel them as they as they tackle them. You know, there isn't. Uh, I don't think that there's a trait more you know that can be more productive that is more effective. Than, than that on the defensive side of the ball. Do I think it's as you know, needed on offense? No, but that's because we're much, much softer. <laughs> I really like that concept of having the right screws loose. It can't be any screw. 
You know, right. some screws are critical, but the Absolutely. right screw needs to be loose. I, I like the way you painted that picture. Uh, so, Dylan, as a wide receiver, let's get to the one position on offense that's a little bit of a wild card, and that would be wide receiver. I mean, right now, probably Odell Beckham Jr. is who most people would say, oh, really talented, but really a disruptive diva. Just so disruptive. But he's not a one-off. Let's not put this all on Odell, right? Chad Johnson changes his name to Chad Ochocinco. Terrell Owens was doing crunches in the driveway at some pseudo-press conference. And Randy Moss is just like, I mean, I can't be bothered to go hard every play. Please, people. I'm me. And I'm probably even somebody out who'd be offended. But that's a nice list of diva wide receivers. What is it about good wide receivers that makes them so difficult. <laughs> that is a that that is a phenomenal question and a phenomenal concept. I still don't think that as a whole we share the same diva mindset as a defensive back. Um, because the defensive back's mindset is even more of a problem, right? Just, just so we can clear that air as I begin to talk about the wide receivers. As a wide receiver, and you look at those guys specifically, right, and even more so the guys like Terrell Owens, the guys like Chad Johnson, the guys like Randy Moss. Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham is a freak, right? Odell is one of the most athletic, freakish human beings imaginable, right? You look at the fact that he's 5'11", the guy runs a 4'3", he wears a 3X glove size. A normal receiver, I've never met a receiver that wears a 3X. I've met, you know, an XL, right? You've got guys who have freakishly large hands. This dude absolutely swallows the ball, right? So his makeup is freakish, and he's an extremely complete receiver, these guys who are older, they play more of a chip on their shoulder because they didn't have all of those tangibles, right? They didn't have this, you know, they, they really worked a lot more than just, hey, I'm a freak, you know. Uh, they were also more a lot more physical, right? And so I think when you look at, hey, if you can go up every single week against the Ed Reeves, against the Sean Taylors, um, against Detroit Palomalos. Do I think Odell could go in and play against those guys? Absolutely not. No chance. <laughs> I, I don't think, uh, you know, those types of receivers today who are calling for attention would be able to last against the defenses of, you know, uh, 15 years ago. Um, but I think that just stems from this attitude that receivers do think that they are game changers, right? And there's some that are, but there are some divas that aren't, and they should probably keep their mouth shut and, you know, uh, kind of just be a part of the team and be a part of the game. But I just don't think that you're going to find that because of the history of the receiver and what it's meant to be a receiver, the big plays that are relied on for receivers. Uh, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation. So when you achieve and you kind of complete that expectation, right, I mean, in the minor receiver, you kind of deserve to be that way. He's Dylan Colley. He's got opinions on everything. Dylan, we love having you on. <laughs> Those are some solid. That, that right screws loose is going to stay with me for a while. That was, that was really good. I might, I might just borrow it. I appreciate it. it. 
I'll tr- hey, by, by all means. I'll, I'll try to remember to give you credit, but, you know, 50-50 on that. We'll see how that plays out. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Hey, Dylan, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. No worries. There's Dylan Colley. He'll be joining us throughout the college football season. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Game three in the Western Finals. The Lakers and the Nuggets. Next.